Hello, friends. Good to be with you here tonight for part 11 of This is Why We Have the Psalms. We have so many of them that we have covered to date that um, I had to create a playlist on Facebook so that I could easily figure out which ones we've done and have not done. So as you join on here tonight on Facebook Live, leave a comment, let me know that you're here and want to welcome those who are going to listen to this afterwards on our podcast, the GenU podcast. So say good evening if you would, just leave a comment and we are going to get right down to it. But before we do, just want to give you a couple of updates. Um, the first is to let you know that on Monday of this week, we're going to start a brand new rhythm of online spiritual formation with uh, the spiritual direction group that I am leading on Facebook live on Mondays at 9 a.m. I'm going to be facilitating that along with three friends in person, Joyce Mays, Nick Gatlin, and Kira Williams. And I hope that you will join us. If you want to read along, the book is Henri Nouwen's Spiritual Direction. So N-O-U-W-E-N is the last name there. It's a great book. You don't have to read it in order to follow along, but I would invite you to do that. And then on Tuesdays of each week, Pastor Jeff is going to be reviewing with us and giving a devotional thought on uh, that week's Bible reading from our Through the Bible in a Year plan. If you want to become part of that, you can just scroll through the Facebook post from the recent past or go to genugrow.com. So see a couple of our friends joining on from different parts of the country. Glad that y'all are with us tonight and we are going to get right to it. So as I mentioned earlier, part 11, Psalm 51. This is why we have the Psalms. And it is a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba is the way that it is worded. So um, you probably remember that story from uh, your, well, maybe not your Sunday school days. They probably skipped that story, actually, but maybe from your um, Bible study days or you heard a sermon how David the king should have been at war and instead he was lounging around and viewed a beautiful woman, sent for her. Uh, she conceived a child. Turns out uh, she is the wife of another man. And in order to cover it all up, he sends him to the front of the battle and her husband Uriah is killed. And so, yeah, that's a crazy story that happened way back when. And um, this is a psalm that David wrote um, in much repentance after Nathan the prophet confronted him. So let's read this together. We're going to go over the first 12 verses tonight. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So this psalm is as much about God's character as it is about human sinfulness. So we're going to begin with verse 1 and unpack it a little bit. If you have questions or comments or thoughts, just leave them for us here, and I'll try and get to those in just a minute. So, have mercy on me, O God. Verse 1, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So, with the story of God's abundant grace in the life of David, even after that uh, grievous uh, sin with Bathsheba, he still remained king. Uh, that child did end up dying. God gave them another child, but the Lord forgave and restored uh, David. So it's fitting that the psalm begins with a focus on God's mercy and on God's steadfast love. So David begins not with his sinfulness. David begins the psalm with a confession of God's steadfast love and mercy. So God's steadfast love, love in the Hebrew is chesed, and this is just God's free-flowing loving kindness, God's boundless grace, God's boundless mercy, the chesed of God. In the Jewish tradition, there are uh, there is a balance for that. It's called the gevura, G-E-V-U-R-A-H. So here you have chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, or simply H-E-S-E-D, which is the free-flowing, which is open, 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 generous, generous, generous. And then the balance of that is God's discipline or restraint and uh, that is the Gevura. And so in the Jewish mind, if God were to simply flood the world with uh, loving kindness, the world couldn't contain that. So God also shows restraint and God also disciplines. Um, so Abraham is known for Hesed and Isaac, who uh, did not uh, bless Esau after Jacob tricked Isaac. He said, I can't, I already gave it to your brother. Long story, but he showed restraint. So Hesed and Gevura and David in this moment is calling on God's Hesed, God's free-flowing, abundant generosity and loving kindness. So before any mention of sin, the psalmist appeals to God's character because the only way to turn from sin is to turn first to God. The only way to overcome sin is by recognizing and realizing and understanding the character of God. So the, the road to repentance doesn't begin by just trying harder and doing better. The road to repentance begins by turning your attention on the character and on the nature and the steadfast love of God. So that's how he begins. And then he moves uh, into verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So sin's a word that appears, you know, a lot in, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, but here we get iniquity. We also get transgression in just a second. So iniquity is a really personal word that identifies 
um, personal responsibility or personal culpability for the sin. This isn't just sin in general. This is like this is like my sin, and David's claiming that he's he's saying my sin. Uh, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. So he's stating that he realizes his responsibility for sin. And then in verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So trans here you have sin, then you have iniquity, that, that personal responsibility. Then you have transgression, uh, which is like willful rebellion. So it's it's just this boom, boom, boom focus on on the nature of his sin. It's his. He uh, willfully rebelled and he's owning it. And he says, my sin is ever before me. Have you ever felt like your sin or the consequence for your action is ever before you? So verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So the, the you, you only struck me for a minute because he says, he's talking to the Lord against you and you only have I sinned. And I thought, well, man, you actually sinned against quite a few people. You sinned against Bathsheba, another man's wife. You sinned against Bathsheba's husband by having him murdered and having an affair with his wife. Uh, you lied and covered up to a lot of people. So your sin impacted a lot of people. But he's not saying that my sin didn't impact other people. When you really look at it, it seems that that what he's saying uh, with that you and you only language isn't suggesting that others weren't hurt by his sin, but that sin has its origins in failure to honor God. So before sin is ever against anybody else, sin is first and foremost against God. Sin is a failure to honor God. So sin, uh, at least in the Greek, uh, I believe the, the word was hamartia, and something like H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, -A -A, something in that neighborhood. And it's a word that archers would use to talk about missing the mark. So David is saying, first and foremost, like, I miss the mark with God. So when you miss the mark, if you were shooting a rifle, if you were shooting an arrow, it, there's there's kind of a double consequence to that is one you failed to hit the good you failed to do the good the right the just you you failed to do that which is right and second you also missed and hit something you weren't supposed to hit so the double consequence of that is not only did I not hit the right mark but I also set into motion a series of consequences because I I hit the wrong mark I missed the right mark, I hit the wrong mark. So if you're ever hunting and you were shooting at something, you missed that thing and you hit something else, not only did you not get the good, but you inflicted harm. And so sin always begins by first and foremost missing the good, which we've talked about this before. Not only do you miss the good, you miss the opportunity by doing the bad to put the good into action. So let me, let me slow down for a second. Not only do you miss the thing you're hitting, trying to hit, and you hit something else, you miss the opportunity to create the good by doing the right thing, you miss the mark of hitting the good, and you missed and you hit the bad thing. And so that's kind of a, a threefold consequence there of the whole issue of sin. And David is just laying it out. It's one of the great things about David. David was not a, he was not an office guy. 
David was not made for office work. David was a brute. I mean, the guy, he not only did he not only did he kill Goliath by sinking a stone into his forehead, he then took the giant sword and sawed off his head and carried it around for a while. Like the guy was, he was a bad hombre. So uh, here he is. He's he's going after other guys' wives, and now here he is just crying out before the Lord. Whew. So, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's been used to make, you know, that case about original sin, and you could use that. But, but really, I think what David's saying here uh, is... Not that sin is necessarily like transferred biologically. I don't think that's the point. But that, that sin is just part of the human condition. That sin is pervasive. That sin, you, the, from the moment you're conceived, you're just born into it. Because it's, it's baked into who you are. It's also baked into who you are that you are the beloved child of God. So David doesn't stop here with sin. David doesn't stop here with being born into sin. He keeps going. So sin has a word, but it doesn't have... The final word about the human condition, uh, as we'll see. So I want to pause here for just a second, and we're going to move on to verse 6. Uh, nearly halfway done, but before I do, uh, go ahead and hit the share button. Let's get this out tonight, and also just want to ask what thoughts and uh, comments might you have. So I see Michelle and Bill logging on from Indiana. Uh, Michelle says that they got their book for Monday's uh, Spiritual Direction Group. That's great. Happy about that. want to say hi to Gary and Liz Munn and Kim Page. Um, let's see. There's Wanda and Walt is there as well. So any, any comments or questions, just be sure to put those there, and I will pick those up when we swing back around in just a minute. So verse number six. It says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So God's desire is, uh, is not sinfulness, certainly, and God's desire is not to condemn us because of our sin, but rather to delight in truth and to teach us wisdom in our inward being. So God's desire is not that we sin. God's desire is not to condemn us for our sin. God's desire is actually to teach us truth in the deepest place of who we are. So verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. So here in verses 7 through 12, the psalmist prays for forgiveness and recreation. And he starts by saying, When God forgives, we are washed whiter than snow. So we see that sin and guilt have a word, but they don't have the final word. Rather, forgiveness, being washed whiter than snow, is what the psalmist is desiring and what he knows at the end of the day that he'll receive from God. So we also see that sin and guilt uh, morph into forgiveness and joy and gladness. So there's a time for mourning our sin. But as we turn to God first and foremost, that begins to morph into joy and gladness. So verses 8 through 10, I'll just read those. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So that word create, uh, in, in the, the Hebrew word that's used for create, 
When it's used in the Old Testament, it's always used for God's activity. It's what God does, God's creative activity. It's all over the opening chapters of Genesis. We see it in Isaiah 40 through 55, where God is doing a new work, a creative work. Uh, and so the God who brings about new creation in the world is also the God who brings about new creation in you and I. So David knows that the only way through his sin toward forgiveness is to rely on the goodness and love of God, the steadfast love of God, and at the same time to call out to God to do what only God can do, and that's to create in him a new heart. You can't change your heart. You can re renew your mind through the Word of God, and the Word of God changes your heart, the Spirit of God changes your heart. All you can do is create the space and the desire and the conditions to where the Holy Spirit moves. So we always begin with an understanding of God's love and mercy, and then we ask God to create in us a new heart. I found myself praying that today. God, create in me a new heart. Clean me, I'll be whiter than snow. It's a beautiful psalm. It might be a good one to memorize, like the first 12 verses of this psalm. So spiritual formation is always dependent, first and foremost, upon the creative acts of God. So even though we're going to do a spiritual direction group, even though we talk a lot about prayer, even though we talk a lot about reading the scripture, even though we do these things, Jesus taught us when you pray, when you fast. So it's, it's part of the Christian life we realize that all spiritual formation is really a work of the Holy Spirit, a creative work of the Holy Spirit. And David knew that. So David knew, I'm a sinful man, and yet God is still creating in me. The same God who, by the Spirit, hovered over the chaotic deep in the book of Genesis is the one who hovers over the chaotic deep in your own heart and then brings new creation into play. So verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, in, in this way, in the way that it's used, God's Holy Spirit, this is only the second time in the New Testament where you'll see this. The other part uh, from what research I've done is Isaiah 63, 10 through 11. Um, and God's Spirit elsewhere is suggestive of God's creative activity. But the mention of the Holy Spirit here is really unusual. So for the psalmist to receive a new spirit and to live in the presence of God's spirit suggests nothing short of new life. For the psalmist to receive the renewing of his spirit and to live in God's spirit's presence, that suggests nothing short of new life. He's echoing back to Genesis. He's like, God, you're the one who created the whole thing. Can you create an upright spirit in me? Don't, don't throw me away, God. Don't cast me away from your presence. Just renew me. Wash me and I'll be clean. And so the only way you can pray that prayer is if he believes in God's steadfast love and mercy and grace. And so sometimes we struggle so much with our sin because we're afraid to turn to God. And yet in reality, the first thing we should do when we sin is not to turn away from God like Adam and Eve did, but rather to turn to God. So verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So do you remember the joy of your salvation? Willing spirit here, it can mean generous. So we know that when God has done something new in us that we become generous people. We'll know that the spirit, 
has done a new work in us when we find ourselves being generous. And when he says, uphold me with a willing spirit, a generous spirit, David had been anything but generous. And so the mark of David's transformation will be that God would put with him, him a spirit that is generous. So sin is always a grasping or a taking, but the spirit of life is generous and giving. True repentance means a turning toward generosity because you have received generously from God's steadfast love. So when we receive from God's love, then our hearts are turned toward generosity. So what a powerful psalm of God's grace and God's abundant mercy, even in the presence of such grievous sin. We all need that. We all need to remember that sin does not have the final word. That the first word about us is that we are beloved. That the first and final words about God is that God is love. And so... When we think of repentance, we don't think of bullhorns shouting in the street. We think of a still, small voice that speaks to us and says, Come on home. There's a better way. And so wherever you are and whatever you're going through, I hope that you know that the road back home is just a simple prayer away. It might say something like, Create in me a clean heart, O God. So may God bless you, give you peace and comfort because you understand that his intentions towards you are good. So it looks like Walt says, David was a man after God's own heart, yet he failed many times. He asked for forgiveness and God was faithful to forgive and restore. I have a chance, he says. Good. Michelle says, we are so blessed that we serve a God who is full of mercy and grace. God is faithful, thankful for the Holy Spirit to continue to give us wisdom and discernment in our hearts. Thankful for our salvation given through Jesus and his sacrifice. Amen. This is good news. The good news is not turn or burn. The good news is there is a God who loves and who forgives and that the turning of your heart is just a prayer away. Amen. Well, God bless you, and we will see you uh, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., on Facebook Live. Take care, friends. Bye-bye.